Got my message file there, partner. There we go. Super. Thank you, Stephen. Um, that seems really high, but we'll make it work. Um, fighting like the rock. Many years before football player uh, turned professional wrestler turned action hero actor uh, earned the nickname The Rock, there was somebody else who was given that name, and they were given the name by Jesus. And so to me, it has a little bit more to say to us than this guy might say, even though just bring it seems like a pretty good thought. Um, In Matthew chapter 16, there's an interesting exchange between Jesus and Peter. Um, Follow along as we go through this. Matthew chapter 16, starting with verse 13. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked the disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? So he's got his inner circle together, and he says, what's the buzz? You know, what are they saying about me on social media? Who do people say that I am? Um, They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others say Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Now, just to kind of give you a little perspective on that, many of you who've grown up going to church know that when the teacher asks a question in Sunday school, it's a pretty safe bet to say Jesus, all right, <laughs> or God. You, you got a really good shot, you're going to get it right. And this is the answer people, these guys are given. They don't want to go out on a limb and say anything too bizarre, so let's take a safe one. Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, still others say Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say that I am? I'm not worried about what they are saying out there. Let's talk about up close and personal. Who do you say that I am? Oh, you don't just want the easy answer? And so it goes on. So Simon Peter answered. Now, again, that's important. Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. So Peter gets out there. He goes out on the limb and he says, I'm going to go all in here. I I think you're the Messiah, son of the living God. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. Some of you have heard Robert Morris speak when when we talk about the the blessed life. And when he's talking about this passage, he kind of reads into it, and I think there's some point to it. When he says, Blessed are you, Simon, Peter, son of Jonah, this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. Do you understand what that's code for? You're not smart enough to figure this out for yourself. God told you that. All right, that's a compliment. It's not an insult, but but he's saying this is way above your pay grade, uh, Simon. You, but it's your right. All right, and then he goes on. He says, "And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys to the uh, keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven." So in other words, he's asking this question, and Peter hits it out of the park. Now, as we unpack things, and I won't go too much here today, but he's talking to Peter, and he says, on this rock I will build my church. Now, Peter plays a key role in that, and we're going to talk about that a bit today. But it's also, Jesus saying, the rock of the revelation of who I am. That's what I'm building everything on, is the understanding of who I am as the Son of God and the Messiah. Now, just to walk us through what took place there, um, before Peter met Jesus, 
His name wasn't Peter. It was Simon. All right? So Simon, his brother Andrew, encounters Jesus, and he runs and gets Simon and says, Hey, you got to meet this guy. I think he might be the one. And when he meets Jesus, Jesus says to him, Simon, from now on, you are going to be Cephas or Peter. Greek, Aramaic, Cephas, Peter. All right? So he changes his name from Simon, and that's why oftentimes in Scripture you see him referred to as Simon Peter, just to help people remember who he is. All right? And maybe help him remember who he is. But he changes his name from Simon to Peter or Cephas both of which in their, na- in their language mean the rock. So Jesus changes his name from Simon to the rock. All right? So way before Dwayne Johnson got all buff and became the rock, Peter was the rock. And I want you to consider today some lessons on fighting the good fight from the life of Peter. Now, It's Father's Day, by the way. Happy Father's Day. Kudos to you guys for being here. All right. So some of what I say may have a bit of a masculine slant. But the reality is all of us are called to fight the good fight. And the lessons that we're going to comment on are lessons for all of us. So if I slip and address the gentleman, I'm not letting anybody off the hook, all right? Because we're all called to fight the good fight. We are all called to just bring it. Now, Peter was a professional fisherman. Now, we're not talking Bass Pro Circuit, fancy truck and fancy boat and sponsors all over your attire, your vehicle, all that. This was... I'm not, I'm not saying professional fishermen today who are on the Bass Pro Circuit don't work, because I'm sure it's work to fish 365 days a year. All right, I, I'm sure it's work. But for these guys, for Peter and his brother and others who are, who are following Christ, fishing was row a big boat out, throw heavy, nasty nets into the water, drag those nets, haul them back in, take the fish out, and do it all over again. And then go in, sort your fish, spread out the nets, fix anything that was torn, and do it over and over again. It was physical, demanding, strenuous work. Peter, if you've read Scripture, you understand, and if you haven't, that's okay. Take my word for it. Peter, as you read about him, he was sometimes a bit impulsive. All right? He was sometimes a bit outspoken. It's hilarious, and I'll probably come back to it in a bit. That passage I read from Matthew where Jesus says, Oh my goodness, Peter, you got it right. I cannot believe you figured this out. Just a couple verses later, Peter lets fly again, and this time he was as wrong as he was right before, and Jesus says, Get behind me, Satan. (laughs) Talk about from top to bottom in a hurry. You're the rock. Get behind me, Satan. That's just Peter's personality. Some of you have that personality. Some of you know someone who has that personality. But Peter gives the impression, we get the impression from Scripture, that Peter was a large and in charge kind of guy. If he's thinking it, he's saying it. Sometimes that's good. Sometimes it's not so good. 
I, saw, I see some elbows going on. Don't, don't be doing that. So anyway, all right. Some I mean, may say, you know, the stereotypical man's man, whatever that means, which I, I don't buy into it. But he was just that outspoken, somewhat harsh, get-her-done kind of guy, worked hard with his hands for a living. We're going to look at a story about Peter that is one of those stories that many of us, perhaps all of us, have heard before, and there are pieces of that that we kind of zip by, but if we were to hesitate for a minute, they might leave us, what, uh, what's that all about? All right, so, so we're going to walk through the story. I'm just going to paraphrase it rather than read all those verses to you because uh, you might fall asleep on me. Uh, but in, in Luke chapter 22 is the story of the Last Supper. Uh, Jesus knows that the time of his ministry on earth is coming to a close, and he brings his closest followers, the ones who are going to lead the mission forward, and, and they have uh, a last meal together. They celebrate the Passover together. And as they're gathered around the table in this upper room, in a very intimate setting, Jesus is teaching them all kinds of stuff. He, he demonstrates servant leadership to them. And then he says, you know, i got to tell you, some hard times are coming. One of you in this room is going to betray me, and things are going to get really bad. And Peter, being the outspoken one, pipes up and says, you know, times are going to get tough. But I've always got your back, Jesus. I, I will die for you, Jesus. I've got it. And Jesus lovingly, but I suspect without any fuzziness, says, Peter, I know you think that. But before the rooster crows, which is tomorrow morning, you're going to deny me three times. Oh, I'll never do that. Not me. Maybe these other goofballs here, but, but not me. Then Jesus says something really unique. He says, remember back when I sent you out to minister to people and I said, don't take anything with you. Don't take your purse. Don't take extra clothes. Don't take anything with you. Yeah, yeah, we remember that. And I suspect they're leaning in, thinking, oh, he's going to give us something more. He says, if you don't have a sword, I want you to sell your coat and go buy a sword. What? What? Where does that come from? Sell your coat, go buy a sword. You know, I wonder if there was that awkward silence. And they're thinking, "Uh, huh? And they look around, and they say, well, Jesus, we already got two. And Jesus says, that's good. Now, I was kind of surprised they already had two. So, so we've got this situation, and Jesus says, buy a sword. We got two. Jesus says, we're good. And then we move on. That, that, that never happened. And Jesus goes out to the Mount of Olives, we're told, as was his practice. They wrap up the dinner. Jesus goes out to the Mount of Olives, Garden of Gethsemane, Gethsemane to pray. And, and he prays, and 
he pulls aside Peter, James, and John, the, the inner circle of the inner circle, and, and he's praying, and he says, pray with me. I'm going to go over here a little bit further. And, and they fall asleep, and he comes back and says, dudes, come on. And, and the cycle repeats itself. They fall asleep. He prays. And, and finally, we're told that a crowd comes. And we're told that a crowd comes, and they've got swords, and they've got clubs. And the crowd, in the crowd, are the chief priests, the leaders of the faith community, the officers of the temple guard, people with training and experience in protecting the temple, which was sacred to the Jewish people, and the elders. So we got this group of people, they come with clubs and swords to confront Jesus. And Judas... The one who was at the Last Supper, who was going to betray Jesus, steps up and betrays Jesus with a kiss. We've heard that before. And when they realize, okay, this is for sure Jesus, because Judas pointed him out, they step forward to take hold of Jesus. And we're told in verse 50 there that Peter draws his sword, takes a swing at one of the people who stepped forward to arrest him, and cuts off his ear. And Jesus says, oh, slow down there, big guy. We're good here. And Jesus puts his ear back on. I don't think he used surgical glue. I don't think he used staples or stitches. He just puts his ear back on. Jesus is arrested. And then over the course of the next 12 to 18 hours, Peter denies him just like Jesus said. Just some quick lessons, very quick lessons on fighting the good fight that I would draw from that story and I would draw from the life of Peter. The first one is, if we're going to fight the good fight, we need to stay close to Jesus. Peter, the rock, was part of the inner circle. He somehow paid the price and show Jesus something that prompted Jesus to include him on a level that nine of the other disciples weren't included. Can I just say, be that guy. What do I have to do to show Jesus I want to be part of his inner circle? If you think about what that represents... He was front and center for the most amazing stuff that Jesus did. When Jesus said, hey, Lazarus, I know you've been dead a few days and you might be a little smelly, but come on out. Peter was right there. The Mount of Transfiguration, when they saw Elijah and Moses, the pillars of the faith of their people, descend from heaven in some way, shape, or form and have a face-to-face conversation with Jesus, Peter was there. Be that guy. Be that gal. Pay the price to be close enough. He was clearly trusted and respected by the Master. As I said, sometimes Peter put his foot in his mouth, maybe even both feet. But he had shown Jesus enough that Jesus said, that's okay. We're all going to make mistakes. But you've got something 
that I want on my team. And again, be that guy. Stay close to Jesus. Be part of his inner circle. The second lesson, have an accurate understanding of your vulnerables. Peter, the rock, he may not have been as buff as Dwayne Johnson, but he was strong. Others looked up to him and respected him. But as evidenced by his denial, his faith was not as strong as he thought it was. And friends, it can be devastating to discover you're not as strong as you think you are. It is imperative that we cultivate an accurate understanding of where we're vulnerable. Can I just say this? Be on your guard if you ever find yourself thinking or saying, I would never do that. That will never happen to me. I cannot be defeated in that area of my life. When Peter made those statements, he had to be completely broken and humbled to understand where he was vulnerable. And you know what I believe? After he was restored, and we'll talk about that in a minute, I'm pretty sure Peter did not make that mistake again. But he served with incredible determination and faithfulness moving forward. Not to say he wasn't determined and faithful before, but he was almost too confident. The third lesson Always be prepared for the fight. Sometimes we lose sight of it. But for Peter, the fight in Luke chapter 22 came when he was so tired, he couldn't even stay awake to pray with his closest friend in his time of need. This kind of goes back to number two about understanding your vulnerabilities. When you are tired... When you are tired physically, when you are tired emotionally, when you are tired spiritually, when you are tired relationally, that's when you are at your most vulnerable. And oftentimes, if it is a spiritual battle, that's when the fight will come. Because the adversary understands when you are weak. In this particular fight, the one in Luke chapter 22, Peter was outmanned and outgunned. There were more people in the other crowd than there was in Peter's crowd. There were more swords and clubs in the other crowd than there was in Peter's crowd. So, about that statement, by a sword. Hear me well, gentlemen especially. I'm not saying go buy yourself a sword for Father's Day. Nod your heads, I want to know you heard that, because I don't want anybody using that against me. All right, anybody who listens online, I'm not saying go buy a sword. I wouldn't even tell you where to go buy a sword. All right, that's not what I'm saying. But I am saying, understand what it takes for you to be prepared for the fight. Let me just make a simple suggestion. Now, I'm not implying this is what Jesus had in mind when he told them go buy a sword. But there is an interesting passage that Paul tells us about. Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 6, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Friends, if we want to fight the good fight, that's a great place to start. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. 
even where you're vulnerable, he is not. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's not against the crowd with swords and clubs, all right? Ours is against rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, when the fight comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything else, stand. I love that passage. Stand your ground. Take the blows. Fight the fight. And still be standing. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with a readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith which, with which you can sting, extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one. <clears throat> take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests with this in mind. Be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Friends, can I just say, when I talk about being prepared for the fight, that's a call. And I read that passage because I wanted to emphasize It's a call for us to invest the time to develop our skill set to fight the fight that we have to fight. Now, I don't want to get all technical on you, but just think about this for just a moment. What did I say Peter did for a living? Thanks, Leah. I'm glad you got it. So let's try it again. What did Peter do for a living? Okay, at least a few more got it. All right, so... Something is intriguing to me. I get the impression, maybe I'm extrapolating too much, but I get the impression that somehow, even though he was a fisherman, not a soldier, he knew how to use a sword. Just think about this for a moment. These people came looking for a fight. They come up with clubs and swords. And in a fraction of a second, Peter draws a sword, takes a swing, and cuts off somebody's ear. Now, friends, just just bear with me. If he's an inch further this way, where's that swipe with the sword going? So in the time it takes Peter to draw his sword and take a swing... All this guy has time to do is go like this. All right? What are we doing to develop our skills with regard to the passage that I just read? Helmet of faith, breastplate of righteousness, belt of truth, shoes fitted with readiness for the gospel of peace. Somewhere along the line, Peter had paid the price to to be able to use his sword. Now, and, and again, he swings like this, gets the ear, but doesn't take his shoulder off. Again, maybe Jesus stopped him. I can't say that he didn't. But it makes me think Peter 
even though he was a fisherman, had developed other skill sets. Can I say with this whole idea, let me back up one, with regard to this whole idea of the sword of the Spirit, can, can I just say that just because you're not a preacher, or maybe even not a Sunday school teacher, or a VBS leader, or a Bible scholar, does not mean you should not be proficient in the Word. I know that's a stretch, but I think it's a reasonable stretch. Am I paying the price to develop the skill sets I need to protect myself and protect my loved ones in all areas of life? Relationally? Emotionally? Financially? Spiritually? Am I prepared for the fight and am I preparing others for the fight? Just chew on that for a bit. Some of us, and again, I know that in a room this size, our fathers are, like my father, they were probably all across the spectrum of what they taught us. All right? Some of us had dads who taught us how to fight, how to protect ourselves. Some of us had fathers who taught us how to fight spiritual fights and pray. Some of us had fathers who taught us how to have emotions that were healthy. Some of us had fathers who taught us how to have emotions that were unhealthy. Some of us, and myself, you know, there's, there's one emotion for guys, and it's anger, all right? And the rest of that we all just stuff down way, way deep so that it never comes out, all right? To me, the call is to develop skill sets that equip us in all areas of our lives to fight the good fight. Know when to fight and when to wait. I'm impressed that when Jesus said, Whoa, Peter, Peter responded immediately, even though it could not have made sense. Do, Do you understand that? Just moments earlier, Peter had been instructed to carry a sword. And now when they're coming to arrest his beloved leader, if ever there was time to use it, it would seem like it was then. Peter takes the lead, breaks it out, takes a swing, and Jesus says, oh, not now. That's not why you've got the sword. If it's not now, when would it be for? But Peter, impulsive Peter, listened and responded. He didn't say, well, why would you tell me to strap on a sword if I can't use it now? He said, Jesus said, no, I'm going to take it for that. Know when to fight and when to wait. The question is, am I listening closely enough to Jesus to know which fights he wants me to embrace and win? Friends, hear me well. Sometimes, perhaps even many times, the best fight is the one you're never in. Just because there's a potential fight doesn't mean it's a fight for me. 
Just because I can win a fight doesn't mean I should be in a fight. I will tell you an embarrassing story about myself. Many years ago, I was much healthier. And I went through a phase where I really, really got into lifting weights. You can't tell it now, I know. But what I found is the stronger I got, the more likely I was to lean into a potential conflict than I was. <laughs> and I did get that, and that kept me out of many conflicts. <laughs> but I was more inclined to lean into it because I had a degree of confidence in my physical ability. Even if it was not a fight I needed to be in, because it was a fight I thought I could win, I was kind of more inclined to just kind of close in on it. Whereas now, I'm backing away because I don't want nothing to do with it, all right? But it's important for us to know and to listen to Jesus, to understand when to fight and when not to fight. Just because there's a fight doesn't mean I need to be in it. Just because I can win doesn't, need to, I, doesn't mean I need to fight. It is important to note, though, that eventually... Peter did give his life for the cause of Christ. But not until the time was right. Not until he had played a crucial role in launching the New Testament church. Not until after he had helped to prepare a next generation of leaders. Then he was in the fight to the death. Imagine, and some of you who know your Bible, you understand just how crucial Peter was to that infant church as it was getting established imagine if he had pushed the fight that day because it was a fight that physically he wasn't going to win because they had more clubs they had more people they had more swords he could have very easily pushed that fight to the death and he would not have been there for all the stuff that came afterward that he played a crucial role in am i ready to fight the good fight when Jesus says fight? And am I willing to wait when Jesus says wait? Then the last lesson. If you fight, you'll win some, you'll lose some. The final round is what mattered. As I've hinted at and touched on, Peter knew the agony of defeat. The whole, get behind me, Satan. Can you imagine when Jesus said, oh, Peter, you're the rock. You understand what very few other people do. I, I'm judging Peter by my own low standards, but I'd have been pretty puffed up. Like, oh, dude, say, you hear what Jesus is saying about me? I'm something. And then just moments later, Peter, stop getting in the way. He knew highs and he knew lows. Some of you have seen the movie The Passion of the Christ that came out a number of years ago. And the depiction of when Jesus just made eye contact with Peter after the denials. And just the brokenness on Peter's face. He knew what it was to lose a fight. 
Peter knew the humility of restoration. I won't take time to go there, but in John chapter 21, after the denial, after the crucifixion, after the resurrection, in John chapter 21, Jesus and Peter have a little one-on-one time. And Peter is now a humbled man. And Jesus says, Peter, I still got plans for you. I have huge plans for you. But it's clear in that exchange that Peter understands his own limitations. But Jesus also helps him to grab hold of Jesus' great potential and power. And it is as that humbled, restored man that Peter moves forward and really is the rock of the church that Jesus is establishing that continues to this very day. He was empowered to stand strong to the very end and has an eternal, the last round for him as an eternal legacy that is one of strength and of fighting the good fight and finishing the course. Some of you have heard before that the the tradition is then what, when it came time for Peter to fight for his faith to the death and they came to crucify him, he said, I'm not worthy to be crucified the way my Savior was crucified. If you must crucify me, crucify me upside down because I don't deserve the same treatment that Jesus got. I deserve less. And he knew what it was to fight. And he fought the good fight to his very last breath. And just imagine, I won't even go to it there. If crucifixion this way was agonizing, how much more would it have been for Peter? He fought the good fight. And he was able to do that because of the lessons he learned along the way. One of the other driving forces in the New Testament church was Paul. And he also knew what it was to fight the good fight. And I love, I often use it at funerals, but Paul put it this way toward the end of his life. I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I've kept the faith. Wow. It's Father's Day. So I'll say it to dads. Isn't that what we want to say at the last day? I've fought the good fight. I finished the race. I I, I haven't been perfect. I made my share of stupid decisions and mistakes. I have my regrets. But as I breathe my last, I've fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. Notice it says I finished the race. (laughs) It said I won. I finished. You see it on the news, the marathons, you know. These people who run 26 miles in the blink of an eye. I mean, it's just insane what these people are able to do. But who makes the news? The ones who take, I mean, they get there just a minute before they cut the race off. You know, you only got so many hours. I mean, like 12 hours to finish the race. And and you see these people who come limping, crawling, hobbling across just minutes before they say, oops, you're done, you can't finish the race. Paul said, I think Peter would say the same thing. I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I've kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. 
Can I just say, ladies and gentlemen, young and old, that's us. That's us. Paul's not the only one who can fight the good fight and finish the course. Peter's not the only one who can fight the good fight and finish the course. That's us. Pray with me. Father, as we close our eyes and bow our heads, I I remember years ago having the privilege of doing a funeral for somebody who, according to their family, was fond of saying, it's a struggle. But they kept pressing on. Friends, every one of us, every one of us is going to fight a fight. And Jesus, as I think of those gathered here, some of them I know the fight they're fighting. Others are fighting fights that I don't know about and perhaps no one knows about. But to realize you want to equip, empower, and enable all of us to fight the good fight. To finish the course. And to receive the crown of righteousness that your son died to purchase for us. I thank you for that. I thank you for the example of Peter. He had his highs and he had his lows, but he finished well. Let that be our testimony as well. I thank you, Jesus. Amen.